Thanks everybody for coming out today. Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, digital transformation in aerospace. My name is Woodrow Bellamy. I'm the editor-in-chief of Rotor and Wing International. Uh, and I want to take the chance to introduce our panelists. Uh, first, we have Jason Rios, who is the Vice President of Aerospace at Sentient Science. Uh, Sentient Science uses material-based uh, compu computational testing to simulate the reaction of complex mechanical systems in specific environments. So, for example, they could take a helicopter engine, create a three-dimensional model of it, and predict its failures in specific operational conditions. Um, Scott Drennan is the Director of Engineering at uh, uh, Director of Engineering Innovation at Bell, uh, just Bell now, uh, as you all probably know. Um, <laughs> uh, to his left, we have Mark Moore, who is the Director of Aviation at uh, Uber Elevate. Uh, and Mark actually has an extensive career in aerospace. Uh, he's formerly a NASA engineer. Uh, and here we have Dave Balavec, who is the Senior Vice President of Engineering at uh, CHC Helicopter. They're one of the largest helicopter services providers in the world. Uh, they operate across oil and gas, search and rescue, and air medical. Uh, and we have Phil Herman, who is the Director of uh, Marketing Services and Connectivity at Honeywell Aerospace. Uh, so again, just to let you guys know, we're talking about digital transformation in aerospace. If you're not using digital tools today, uh, you're probably behind your competition. Uh, so we're going to go into a list of scripted questions. Uh, and then towards the end, we're going to open up for audience Q&A. So if you guys have any questions for these guys about the use of new digital tools in aerospace, uh, you'll get the chance to ask them at the end. Uh, so first, I want to ask a general question to the entire panel. Uh, and we can start with you, Phil. Um, so today, uh, we're talking about, uh, really, if you guys know what predictive analytics is, that's the basis of what we're talking about, predicting failures within critical systems uh, on helicopter platforms. Uh, so Phil, as you know, uh, the use of health usage monitoring technology has been around for a few years. Um, what do you think the industry's been seeking within that type of technology, and uh, what's available today that can, that can change that process? Okay. So, as you mentioned, as Woodrow mentioned, technology's been with us for quite some time. And during that time, we're generating wealths of information, wealths of data. Um, I think to the point that we may be overwhelming ourselves with that data and, and our just ability to ascertain what it all means. Uh, you'll see some conversation today about abilities to do analytics of that. And I think it starts there, the ability to sort through it pick out the key facets that really apply to the problem you're trying to solve. How do you fly? How do you operate? How do you mission? But in addition to that, I think something we often miss is um, do we produce a PhD answer or do we produce a pragmatic one? Can I do something when the answer comes out? Does it mean, does it tell you to go fix or point you in a direction to do it? Or is it just a beautiful graph and a nice thesis about what the problem is? So if I look at really where we're driving, it's better analytics, but it's a better way to put the answer in the hands of the, ultimately the person who has to maintain the aircraft or do something with it. That's just pragmatic. Dave? Sure, let me give you the operator's perspective. Uh, we've got about 150 aircraft in our fleet. And, and today, health usage monitoring systems for us, is it's really a go-no-go. -no -go. So it's, it's a very uh, 
primitive source of information for us. And I think that's the dilemma right now is we're not asking the right questions. I've got a lot of questions. I don't have answers that are coming to me. Today, when we uh, return back to a base from a flight, we download the Hums data. Um, that is done in a very manual process. We actually walk out to the aircraft. We remove a PCMCI card. We walk back to a hangar. We plug it into the computer. We boot up the computer. You get where I'm going. Um, I think that technology really is um, something that could be advanced in terms of simplicity of getting the data and making the data available. Now, to your point, I think we also sometimes challenge ourselves with, are we asking the right question? And, and the most fundamental question is, am I okay to turn the aircraft around and fly another mission? We're not using the data right now to actually do as much trending as I think we should. Scott? Yeah, we have hum systems on several of our aircraft, and uh, I, I agree with the two gentlemen here that one, you have to have smart uh, big data algorithms so that you know you're making, you're getting data that you can act on. And also, we struggle with our customers to give them more of a real-time feel for data rather than downloading. We do have some systems on board the B-22 that try to address that by giving the pilot direct actionable data um, maybe due to you know, relative to engine state uh, that we've been really successful in that area. Although what I'd like to see change about HUMS, HUMS can, it's a very uh, generic parameter that you always have to correlate to a specific area that you're really interested in. So I think a, a group like Sentient making that correlation tighter and more efficient and then even providing perhaps a little bit of hardware at specific locations that we're more concerned with than maybe the generic vibration patterns that are coming out of the hub. Mark? So let me give you a little bit of the look into the future uh, with what we're doing with Uber Elevate and why predictive health monitoring is going to be absolutely huge and critical. And that is, you know, our buddies at Bell and Embraer and Aurora are developing electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Vertical takeoff and landing aircraft by their very nature are complex. But what's really unique about this is that they're essentially digi all digital, right? Digital flight control systems, digital battery control, um, uh, digital uh, electric bus architecture, digital motor control to electric motors, it's all digital. Now that means that you have this wonderful ability to interface with lots and lots of data. And um, whichever part of the systems you're talking about, it's kind of a new world where we can do it purely from a digital perspective and be able to predict um, very much into the future where the issues are and be able to manage for us on-demand networks. Not scheduled, but on-demand where everything's changing and these vehicles need to be incredibly interconnected all the time across these systems talking to our network operations center all the time in real time. Okay. Um, so I think we kind of like liken it almost to like a medical condition. If you're concerned about having a heart attack, you can hook yourself up to a heart monitor and kind of get the earliest indication of when something's about to happen and maybe pinpoint as the event's about to occur. But I think most people would rather engage with like a cardiologist who can look at your family history, can look at your lifestyle, can look at your individual risk factors, your body chemistry, and maybe give you some indications on what you can do to maybe offset something like a heart attack, maybe to change some of your behaviors in order to you know, extend your life. So we translate that to mechanical systems, and we look at 
there are opportunities to use what we know about the design or the materials to extend the life of those of those gearboxes and transmissions before we have to rely on the feedback from sensors that there's a crack occurring or, there, or that there's a you know a, a bearing starting to spall. So you know we, we think there's opportunities to really extend the life of those of those systems in a meaningful way without having to uh, continue to expand the amount of data that's being collected. We think there's enough data there to, to make those decisions. We just we kind of approach it from the first principles perspective and being able to look at, at the response of those materials and how they're going to you know eventually fail. Hey, J uh, yes, Jason, Jason, let me just add on. I, I think you know the answers we've all given, we, we've got a diverse background up here. I, I think we, we would be mistaken if we only talk about failures and incipient failures. Um, let's not forget that, that, I, that there's a lot of opportunity out there to learn how to do things better. And, and that's one of the things that, that my perspective as, as an operator right now, we don't have feedback that's telling us this is actually a more, more preferred way to fly the aircraft so, so that we can actually obtain what you're suggesting there. So, no. so let's not make it all yeah. avoid the downside. I'd rather exploit the upside. Yeah, and that's a great point because really, I mean, there's a difference between maintenance and sustainment. I mean, with maintenance, you're you're fixing things that are broken or that are about to break. When we talk about sustainment, that's more of like a long-term commitment to the health of your fleet. And you would prefer to, to not do as much maintenance and to kind of leverage the sustainment practices to be able to get as much life out of those those systems as you can. Sorry. Um, second question, I want to focus on data sharing in the helicopter industry. Uh, I've covered the commercial airline industry quite extensively, and I will say it's a very, it's a very data-driven industry. Uh, they all have minimum equipment lists. They have critical faults that they identify, uh, and you know that kind of drives their business. Now, coming to HeliExco over the last couple of years, this is probably the first year I've actually had discussions about predictive analytics. Um, so I want to start with Phil and go down the line. Um, what type of data sharing exists today in the helicopter industry, uh, commercially, between OEMs and operators? It's going to be, it's going to depend, and we'll give it case to case, but data, we often get stuck in data about data ownership. We prefer to look at it data rights. You retain the data, and you can keep it locked away, but if you're not extracting the value from it, you're doing yourself no service either. We do see the we see the extremes. Data lockdown. It's mine. I share it with none. Uh, we see collaborative pools where data from multiple operators can go into a single place. I think if you can make it uh, some anonymous and take out some of that, it was this person who generated as opposed to it was these type of situations or platforms. So we're seeing that growing sharing. I think it's going to go through similar growing pains that the air transport. I came similar from the air transport side. Um, it's a possessive, it's a possessive conversation. People will talk about owning the data. If you talk about data rights, you change the tone a little bit, and then you talk about how can we both extract value from doing it. We as a supplier will protect our data as well. Uh, fully admit that, but uh, we have to look at it collaboratively. And in this industry, it's starting to grow in that way. Dave, sure. One, one aspect would be would be Hums data, and I I try very hard at CHC to uh, to open those pathways. We don't we don't seem to be encumbered by a lot of concerns about about data being shared externally. I think we have good relationships with other suppliers, actually really good relationships with other suppliers. And when they tell us that they're not going to share the data, we trust them. Uh, those relationships are built on trust. 
but the, the data sources that we have, you know, one of them would be Hongs, one of them would also be FDM, flight data monitoring, actually how, how is an aircraft being flown. Um, but we also have some internal data. We have a, you know, an ERP system that we use with respect to our entire supply chain. Um, and then also we have uh, another system that we actually use for scheduling aircraft in terms of you know, the, the hundreds of pilots that we have flying around the globe. And I really believe that, that the culmination of bringing all those data sources together, there's some real power in that. So, so right now, I, I agree with what you're saying, Phil. I think there's, there's a broad spectrum. Some who are uh, very apprehensive, uh, but I'd, I'd like to think that we can together get past that through confidence in one another and trust in one another, and then start to use that data to really to uh, to affect the economic equation here for flying these aircraft. Scott? Yeah, so I'm going to go a little more negative. It needs to be a lot better, but I'm going to take responsibility for it as a service provider to folks like Dave. We have not done the right job explaining to our customers the benefit of what we can give back to them when we have their data and we put them through these analytical systems. <clears throat> um, the value proposition conversation's not there in either being ready for events where they need service, uh, being ready to extend life because a given one operator is gentle on their vehicle, one is, is not so much. We need to do a better job as the OEM providing that value proposition and then the trust corridor will open up and we'll put the best analytics we have on it to give the right answers. So I'm going to keep my answer short because we're still working it out, but inherently when you look at Uber Elevate, um, you know, Uber is stepping up to uh, take on the network management side of things. Our manufacturing partners are developing the vehicles and we're working out this middle area, but what we're convinced of is that there is this great opportunity for the manufacturers to step into some aspects of the operations. Um, so from a, a data sharing perspective, we see uh, the potential for them to be very, very involved in the maintenance and pilot training and how that data can all wrap together into a more optimized solution for the products that they're developing and then maintaining uh, across these very, very large uh, commercial aviation fleets uh, in urban areas. So I think when you're, when you're talking about the value of data as you're trying to maybe manage the health of a fleet, there's, there's a lot of value in being able to aggregate the data from multiple sources, multiple customers. And there's a challenge there because nobody, everybody's concerned about providing information into an aggregated environment because they feel like there may be some, some sensitive data that may be compromised at some point. So I think for us, uh, assuring customers that there are uh, techniques out there like uh, differential privacy, for example, where you, know, you use complex algorithms to, to kind of mathematically sanitize the data so that it's physically impossible to reverse engineer the source. It gives people a level of confidence that they can share their data and start to benefit from the aggregated you know, outlook without necessarily putting their own privacy at risk. So I think it's really important to have controls in place that, uh, that assure customers of that in order to really kind of get maximum participation. You know, you have, you know if you, especially if you have a fleet that's, that's a 
you know, used by the global community, well then you've got, you know, countries that don't necessarily want to share their data with other countries and things like that. So I think that's that's a really important part of it is, is how to assure them that, you know, that they can contribute to that without putting themselves at risk. Uh, so I want to ask some specific questions to Phil, Dave, and Scott. Um, based on the tools you have, and I think you kind of touched on it, Scott, uh, based on the tools you have today, how do you predict the forecast for demand of replacement points? And I'll start with you, Phil. Well, actually, they both hit on it. I mean, the tools are great, and they give you an answer and allow you to project very traditionally, this part will break, I need this part to replace, consumables, etc. But by accessing the other database systems, we're moving into things like logistics chains, just in time. Uh, we're really being able, it kind of takes on other dimensions, really being able to expand a window. Not just predict a part maybe 30 days out, but like six months out. Really start being able to control your inventory. Go to shared inventory situations. Us on the suppliers to help with the operators is using these tools, understanding the trends and the analytics, we can better stock parts that they can share collectively, really bringing down their overall operating cost, reducing the risk. So that that part of it, I think, is really advancing and really opening up and engaging those other systems that Dave mentioned about how they do ERP, how they fly, what are their operational plans, tying all that together, as opposed to just uh, five percent spares. Just move away from that model. Yeah, um, one of the things that we're working through within CHC right now is, is I'll try to give an example. Um, if we break down aircraft maintenance into just two simple buckets, one being scheduled maintenance, one being unscheduled, you know, we have an analytic model that we use to uh, predict scheduled maintenance, and the accuracy of that model is actually pretty good. And it, but it's also something that's that's pretty well understood. There, there's a there's a maintenance manual that's published uh, by the um, manufacturer. It's based on hours, flight hours, and actually the calendar. And you simply have to follow that. So you should be pretty good at that. It's the unscheduled maintenance when something was bumped in the night, and, and that's that's the challenge. That's where we have to call up you know the folks at Honeywell and and ask for an emergency or you know because we've got an aircraft on the ground. Those are the challenges that I think face the industry right now, where where we collectively spend a lot of money. You know, one thing is, uh, you know, the, the parts in demand, so there might be a premium for the part, and there's going to be a premium for shipping, and there's going to be an aircraft on ground, and the operator's going to pay a penalty. It's it's the value chain that makes complete sense, but boy, it gets really expensive. So I would suggest that you know my experience at CHC that that this is uh, an area that, that an organization like Sentient could really help us get our arms around and do a much better job. Um, I don't think it, it has anything to do really with competition other than allow us to be smarter, more efficient, and therefore more economical. Yeah, we use a couple different methods. Um, so I'll call, you know, known, known details, known assemblies that you put on your vehicle will determine mean time between failure either from our vendors or from our own internal testing, apply a probabilistic analysis and try to get prepared for those. Uh, best scheduled maintenance events that we can, and, and hopefully some of the unscheduled. We apply a, a, a mission spectrum that, that we develop between customers and the, and the regulatory uh, agencies, and we do our analysis to, you know, through that mission spectrum to then predict uh, these types of events. The other uh, you know, best place is from the fleet. So we try to start early during flight test and, and count hours on what we call our fleet at that time, but then as we we let the aircraft out amongst uh, other users, that data can be invaluable uh, as well. I think uh, to Dave's point, 
you know, we, we feel that pain on unscheduled maintenance as well because you're, you're a customer and you have to wait and we don't like that. And, and the only way we can't, we don't make you wait is we have a, a huge inventory stock, which then that eats into right, cost. our profitability and your cost. Um, so what we'd like to do with the uh, unscheduled is to understand more about your operating parameters. So was, was there um, a particularly difficult environment that you operated in over the last couple of missions? Uh, sand, say, for example, or, or other conditions that might help our engineers look uh, more specifically into failure modes that we've considered but didn't consider, you know, repeatable at, to a significant extent in those missions. Maybe a follow-up question, Scott. Are there specific parts that you focus on that you know are, you know, more likely to fail than, than others? Well... <laughs> So I'll, I'll actually segue this into a great talk for, uh, for Mark as well. The, um, everybody knows that the hubs on, on a helicopter are complex mechanisms. They are, there's uh, rotational uh, systems uh, both there and in our transmission, so those are the places we're most concerned. Um, there are some airframe uh, items that uh, have complexity. It's mostly based there in the airframe because it's redundant. It's harder to predict where things are gonna actually happen. Um, but uh, you, the redundancy also helps you not worry about it as much. Uh, but some of the opportunities in distributed electric propulsion, they simplify the hub. They, our goal at least is to eliminate transmissions completely. That is mechanical transmissions. There's an electrical transmission system in those. So those are opportunities there as well to, to do better on, uh, on unscheduled maintenance in particular. Okay. Uh, so Jason, Sentient Science is a first time exhibitor this year at uh, Heli Expo. Uh, if you go to your website, it will tell you about you know, 3D materialistic science. Yeah. Uh, can you kind of break that down a little bit and explain what that means for the helicopter industry, what you guys have already provided for the military and, and what you can provide for the civilian? Yeah, so I think just kind of for the user community, what it kind of means is when we look at a, at a gearbox failure, we look at three basic elements, you know, the, the when, the why and the how, right? So the when is pretty self-evident, right? That's the timing of the event. There's been a lot of effort and resources put into, you know, figuring out that timing over the past 10, 15 years with hums and things like that. There's been a lot of good work, very important. But we think that when, when you look at the, the why and the how, to us, those are material science questions, right? So the why, it, it goes kind of to root cause. You start looking at what is it about the operating conditions or the design considerations or just even the, the material characteristics of the base material of those components that's contributing to the accumulation of stresses that are eventually going to cause cracks and, and failures? Uh -oh. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then you look at the, uh, the how. And, and for us, that's, that kind of goes to the failure mode. You know, when, when the system does fail, how is it expected to fail? Are you expecting to see hitting in the gears that are going to develop you know, cracks? Or are you looking at maybe spalling in the bearings that are going to cause those bearings to become the life-critical part of that, that gearbox? So uh, kind of being able to, to understand all three elements of that failure is really what, what enables operators or, and, you know, and OEMs really to get more visibility on, on these failures, to be able to kind of look farther out and to be able to perhaps reduce some of that safety stock that's causing so much, you know, headache as far as, you know, affecting operating costs and things like that. And so we've seen, um, we, we've had a lot of opportunity to, 
explore this in the wind industry where our technology has been very widely accepted and, and what our customers have found is, is they, they can see line of sight to perhaps 10 to 15 percent overall reduction in their operating costs based on being able to tackle things like inventory, being able to schedule their maintenance more efficiently, right. you know, being able to hit some of those things that really you would prefer not to spend your money on. And so that's where we think the value of material science and you know in aerospace industry really lies is just kind of be able to, to kind of look a little bit farther out you know, based on science, not necessarily based on, uh, you know, a statistical analysis. Uh, so, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I applaud that answer, because that's, that's where we need to get to. We're not there today. I believe my experience would tell me we have an industry that's ripe to get there. We've got numerous examples that are demonstrated. Um, and, and again, we have to stop talking about just diagnostics, but more about prognostics and, and how to get out there in the future. And if, if you simply think about just, it's a very complicated system, uh, an aircraft. Um, and again, back to another example, let's just talk about fixed wing, takeoff and landing. You know, what's the throttle position to maximize efficiency? The point of fuel burn is, is going to turn into millions of dollars, and that example has been demonstrated. I, I, I don't think we can sit here and put our hands on five examples today within the rotorcraft industry, and we need to get there. Jump to Mark. Um, so Uber, you know, I think everybody's aware of your ambitions to do electric-powered air taxis. Um, can you talk about how you make use digital tools to make that economical? Right. So today, if you get an Uber car, it's it's economical for an operator. But if you think about an air taxi, very expensive to operate a helicopter. Uh, how do you use digital tools to make that future operation economical for the operator? and uh, the passenger. Yeah, there's really two keys to towards favorable economics for this new Elevate uh, air taxi system. And that is getting the load factors, uh, to you know, filling up the vehicles with passengers. Um, we do that on the ground uh, with a, a product called Pool, where we actually are able to aggregate people on still with on-demand trips to uh, have the vehicles uh, pick up different passengers and fill that vehicle. We're going to be doing the same thing in the air. We're going to make sure that as we fly from skyport to skyport, that we're going to be able to pull on-demand customers together to fill up the vehicles. So load factor is critical and requires a lot of data. Uh, it's a data-driven problem to, to match all those trips together. Um, the other side is is utilization of the vehicles, right? You got very expensive vehicles that need to achieve high utilization. Currently, you know, with uh, the helicopter industry, utilizations are more like 300 to 500 hours per year. We are talking about being able to do what what the Bristol's do with oil services. You know, 2,000 hours per year. That is the utilization is the key to driving to a high affordable. Uh, 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 transportation products. Now, if you're driving to high utilization of 2,000 hours per year, guess what? You've got to make sure those vehicles are always well-maintained um, and we know when they have to go into service. And so, again, it's a very data-driven problem to get to high utilization on these relatively complex vehicles, um, especially as you're, you're looking at systems like the battery, right? I mean, that battery needs to be able to land, charge in five minutes, and take off the, the next customer. That battery is one of a really expensive part of the vehicle. 
and you've got to know not just the voltage and temperature, you've got to know how much each, each one of those 10,000 cells is stressed. And that's a data-driven problem where you need to be able to predict how quickly you can charge the different modules and make sure that you can extend the life you know, so that you don't just get 500 hours, 500 cycles of life from these batteries, but can move that up to 1,000 to 2,000 cycles. Everything we're talking about to get to these high utilization and high load factors, it's all data driven. So May, I'll just ask one more question and then open it up to the audience. Uh, Scott, you lead a very exciting division at Bell, Innovation, I think you guys stood it up recently. Um, can you talk about new innovative approaches you're taking to predict failures in, in your existing fleet? Yeah, so uh, at Bell, I think everyone's heard about the digital thread. At Bell, we like to talk about the digital fabric because what we're finding is that if you don't start this digital fabric from the creation of the part itself all the way out to the maintenance actions that we take for our customers or help our customers with, then you've missed all the power and leverage that you can get from the, the correct uh, use uh, of the data that we have out there. So it extends not only, so you just walk through it a little bit, digitize design, create the part, digital twin then that resides with that part as it travels through its life. The data that we get from the operations of the aircraft then is reflected back on that digital twin. We put predictives on it, like product from Sentient Science, and you, you know what's happening to that part, and you're watching it in a digital space as it goes through its physical life, and then you know all the spots where you have to jump in early and, or stock up your inventory or be ready for a real-time decision to be made to help the pilot with fuel or other, other operational parameters. That's, that's how we think the future needs to go, and those are the kind of things we're looking at about. Uh, any audience questions? Anyone at all? <laughs> okay, while well, we're looking for a question, Scott, um, let me see if we can build upon that. Sure. Be because we're, we're still talking about failures again. And I want to get past that. Would you would you suggest that also that rich environment of data is going to make uh, the the product team smarter so they can actually figure out how to get more out of the existing? Yeah. Design? So, so my my I always call it my holy grail, and it involves uh, my past uh, life as a structural analyst. When I look at missions uh, that we certify the aircraft to, I know that it's a mission that not everyone executes. So if we can find folks that do a, let's call it softer or more benign mission, we should be able to extend the life of that aircraft and extend the usage uh, spectrum of that aircraft. Uh, so I think that's one of the positive uh, pieces of it as well. Um, and, but I do think it is better to look at it from the, from the potential side. It's about um, the operator, the, the pilot who's a mission and, and safety officer, being able to make right choices, not only about safety, which we're all concerned about, but the mission going right. exactly as, as planned. And there's all kinds of data that you don't have to wait for until you land that you could actually give the pilot to help them do Yeah, I was hoping that would be the answer, because I look at it today similarly, that there's, there's a spectrum that you design to, and it's somewhere between one and 10, and not everybody flies at a 10, yeah. but we all have to maintenance based on the tent. Yeah, we have a pro we, we've um, worked with the FAA on this. We have a, a project called Mission Link. And, you know, besides keeping inventories under control, um, it's also about trying to find a path where we might be able to enable 
um, basically tail number specific lots or tail number specific spectrums. Do you think we'll get to condition-based maintenance? I, I would. I, I think we can. Yeah, and it's all about just collaborating with the FA in the right way and making sure they know what data is available to us and what analytical tools we apply to it to make that answer correct. And there's models today to that end, like engines that do mm -hmm. on-demand on and on-condition maintenance. And, and you want an engine to work, right, especially when you're over the water. So I think you're on the right track, absolutely. The precedence is there, exploiting the data. I love how you do it because you, you put in that positive sense. If you got to make the investment to put the equipment in, Shockingly, it's neither free nor zero weight um, and, and, and zero cost. Uh, but it, it, those positive contributions that data generation, collection, transmission can make, not just on availability, it's hugely important in your asset utilization. I can complete the mission better. The same equipment that's supporting a positive outcome, not a failure, a positive outcome, can also save a life. Very same equipment that's transmitting the maintenance data off the aircraft can transmit telemedicine information. I don't have to wait till I land. I save that patient. The FAA actually has a price on the value of life if you're interested in the model. So, absolutely, that positive outcome all the way through. How you operate your aircraft. We do this on the air transport side. We pull data, make it ambiguous who contributes, but we can model your particular performance of your airline relative to that platform set and show where maybe you should deploy your gear later or your flaps sooner or those kind of trade-offs. Delivering three, four percent fuel efficiency. OEMs will redesign an airplane for three to four, spend tens of millions of dollars to do it. So it's those positive outcomes. And at the end of the day, your aircraft was still more available too. And, that's, and you save inventory, logistics, everything. So, Yes, big dream. So we have an audience question. Go ahead. Question. Do you guys see any glaring technology gaps to be able to do this kind of thing better? We talked about analytics, but are there other technology gaps that would make it easier to do this? Let me, let me weigh in before the, the, the experts do. I, I would suggest that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit before we get to the need for additional technologies. Yeah, I think I, I agree with that. I mean, this, the simplest is the is the most elegant usually. But uh, we we could use some lightweight hardware to help us really get into some of the problem areas in a finer way. And um, when we fly flight test uh, vehicles, we have them instrumented to within you know an, an inch of them. Uh, you know, getting uh, un uncovered by by strain gauges and whatnot, and then when we get into operational model, we have to let go of that because it's not it's not uh, realistic or practical for the vehicle. So I think some hardware uh, improvements in, in sensing, uh, perhaps a wireless system or optical systems that um, you know don't burden the vehicle uh, and the vehicle systems that are critical for operations could help a lot in this area, and then we could focus on some of those. Uh, particular spots. And I'd like to add something to that. I think, you know, because we, we kind of focus on drive systems, we, we look at gears and bearings a lot, and there's a lot of new materials out there. People, you know, there's a lot of investment going into developing high-performance materials, lighter weight, stronger, more heat resistant, and 
so the technology is there, I think, but when you talk about the cost of incorporating something like that into a platform is enormous, right? So, I mean, it can, you know, I mean, Scott, you probably know better than I do, you know, what the, what the obstacle is there, but I think, you know, what, what we're trying to work within the industry to do is maybe lower that cost by being able to address the way new materials are qualified for geared systems to, to maintain all of that due diligence and that safety factor and everything, but make it more affordable so that those technology advancements can actually make their way into platforms quicker and, and maybe we can develop lighter weight, stronger drive systems without it being a $100 million investment for Bell. Because, you know, if it is, then if it's that expensive and it takes 15 years, you know, people aren't going to do it on the current generation of aircraft. They're going to hold on to that till the next, you know, the next thing comes out. Yeah, I mean, Jason, oh, sorry, Mark. Jason and, and I work together on projects like this, and their analytical tools are amazing. Um, and the analysis part is always the answer. But I think uh, one of the details I'd like to talk about that you addressed is though those when you put a piece of hardware in there, it doesn't mean the analytics go away. In fact, the analytics get validated by the hardware, the data, the empirical data, and vice versa, and then suddenly you can start to release that burden off the aircraft. So it's not about eliminating the analytics. The analytics are the are where we want to go with it so that you know state uh, conditions all along the road, but they can enable each other, but, but it's hard to pay for the overhead with some of the current uh, sensor systems. Yeah, I'd like to add a, a key difference between the type of vehicles that our partners are developing uh, and what exists today is the level of distribution that exists, right? We're talking about uh, aircraft that instead of having one gearbox and one or two engines, they have six to 12 motors. They're not engines anymore, they're motors. We have uh, energy storage systems that instead of being one fuel tank, is 10,000 cells. So this level of distribution that is inherent in these electric VTOL aircraft suggests that instead of having centralized data collectors and sen sensors, that we're going to need to go to highly distributed sensors uh, and data collection systems. That means much smaller, much more lightweight, much lower cost, maybe even less capable because we'll have redundancy inherently built into this highly distributed uh, system so we can actually select that they're lower reliability because we have much less sensitivity to a single failure. Okay, well, uh, that was an exciting discussion. I want to thank Sentient Science for hosting and sponsoring this panel. Uh, and thanks Jason, Mark, Scott, Dave, and Phil for joining us here. Uh, I'm sure if you all have any other questions, they can answer them after the panel. Uh, so thank you all for attending. Thank you.